We all just learned from new census data that around 27.5 million people are uninsured in America. That is almost the population of the entire country of Mozambique. But don't worry, we can fit a lot more countries into that number, including both the populations of Belgium and Austria. I could go on, but you get the point. That's a lot of people. So what's the best way to provide health care to Americans? Debates about systems have raged for decades. Some say that health care is a human right and we should mirror systems like Canada's. Others think government-mandated health care is too invasive and we should be able to choose what we want. There have been many proposals on how to fix the health care system in America. One proposal in particular, Medicare for All, has gained a lot of popularity. So what is Medicare for All? From the Aspen Institute, I'm Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. My guest today is Margot Sanger-Katz, a healthcare reporter from the New York Times. I spoke with her at the Aspen Ideas Health Conference this summer. And one thing is clear. Regardless of political party, many Americans are suffering under the current system and want a solution. Medicare for All is just one of those proposed solutions. Take a listen to our conversation. Welcome to the studio, Margo. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is fun. So let's talk healthcare. This is on everybody's mind for the 2020 election. Let's go into Medicare for All. What is it and what are the biggest myths around it? It's a little bit of a hard question to answer because I think some politicians, when they use the term Medicare for All, they mean something really specific. And I think Other politicians and also a lot of voters, when they say that they favor Medicare for all, are talking about something more general. So let me talk a little bit about both of those things. So I think the specific thing, you know, the best we can see about that comes from Senator Bernie Sanders, who's running for president, but who also has put out as a senator a really detailed legislative proposal. And what he's imagining is a system in which basically everyone in the United States gets the same insurance that's provided from the government. It's called Medicare, but it's a little different from Medicare right now. And you paid for it with taxes, and basically all of your medical care would be free when you get it. So you would never have to pay to uh, bill to a hospital or a co-payment when you go to the doctor, that everything would be covered by the Medicare system, and everyone would be in the same Medicare system. Now, one consequence of that is it would require more taxes to pay for because the government's going to have to provide all this insurance to all these people who it doesn't currently provide insurance to. And another is that people who have different kinds of insurance, private insurance through their job or public insurance through Medicaid would have to switch to this new system. Uh, When you talk to Senator Sanders, he says, that's no problem because we already pay premiums, so taxes are not that different than premiums. And, you know, people like their insurance now, sure, but uh, this new insurance is going to be so much better that everyone's going to like the switch. But I think those are some political challenges. Now, I think when a lot of other people say Medicare for all, What they're really saying is that they want a system where everybody has insurance, where the government has a little bit of a bigger role, where it's sort of more fair, more available, um, and maybe where you have to pay a little bit less. Um, And so what we see are a lot of candidates who have used the Medicare for All language, even some senators who have signed on to the Sanders proposal, who basically say things like, well, I'm in favor of Medicare for All, but like maybe not right away, or maybe it should be optional. You know, we should have this government program. If people want to pay to join it, they could pay to join it, but they want to keep what they have right now, they can keep it. And so we're starting to see more differentiation between those two kinds of things. My colleagues, Abby Goodenough and uh, Trip Gabriel, just did a piece in the New York Times, actually, uh, 
surveying the candidates about, you know, what do they support in terms of health care proposals? And what they saw was they got 18 people to answer their survey, and 11 of them said they prefer this kind of optional sort of system where people could buy into a public program and maybe if they were poor enough, they could qualify in with very low premiums, but no one would be forced to switch their insurance necessarily. Uh, And on the other hand, we see, I think, seven candidates, seven presidential candidates who really continue to endorse a Medicare for all proposal. So, uh, you know, there's going to be some really uh, vigorous and interesting debate, I think, among Democrats uh, about what the future of healthcare looks like in America. So which groups of people would this benefit the most? I mean, the easiest answer to that question is if you're uninsured now, you're going to be way better off with Medicare for All because you're going to get this great insurance. It's going to cover everyone. It's not going to cost you anything. You have nothing now, and you have exposure to really high bills and probably difficulty accessing some of the care you need. You wouldn't have that problem in Medicare for All. I think for some people who uh, have private insurance but face really high deductibles um, and pay a lot of money out of pocket, so they're paying a premium and they're paying a lot for their care, people maybe who have chronic conditions or who take really expensive drugs, those kind of people you imagine that they would probably be better off under Medicare for All, at least financially, because they would be relieved from the burden of paying so much money for their care. But it would be a very large change, you know, if you imagine that everyone is getting their insurance from the government and the government is the only one paying for health care, uh, then that could have effects on how the health care system works, too, because the government's going to decide what it's going to pay for, what services it wants uh, to be included in the benefits, how much it's going to pay for them. And you could see some changes in the way that doctors and hospitals operate. And so that could have some, you know, it could be better for some patients. It could be worse for other patients. I think it's hard to say in a really detailed way exactly who uh, benefits and and who does not. But certainly, I think a real advantage of Medicare for All for a lot of Americans is that it would provide them with a much lower cost way to access the healthcare system, even though they would have to pay, of course, higher taxes to finance it. So we often have people who support government-mandated healthcare look to countries like Canada and England as examples. Um, What can we learn from them and what can we do better? So I think it's interesting. So the system in England is actually pretty different from what any politician in America is proposing. So the way things work in England is it's not just that the government gives you your health insurance, but the government actually employs the doctors and runs the hospital. So the whole healthcare system in England is run by the government. Uh, the kind of system that's imagined by Medicare for All, and especially in the Sanders proposal, is very similar to what the Canadians do. So the Canadian system, they even call it Medicare. So the Canadian system is everyone has Medicare. Everyone gets their health insurance from the government, but all the hospitals and the doctors are private, just as they are in the United States. So you have nonprofit hospitals that are associated with universities, and there are doctors in private practice who are earning their own salaries based on how many patients they treat or you know what kind of goals they achieve. So I think that's actually a pretty good system to look at. The Canadian system is quite different. And I think there are uh, some interesting lessons. One is that Canadians really like their system. And in the United States, when we talk about Medicare for all, I think there is a lot of apprehension and Republicans and other critics often talk about how socialism is so terrible and this would be a system that would really um, make people worse off. And, you know, the devil is in the details about how such a system is proposed. But at least in this one country that has it, I think it is quite popular and people are really proud of their health care system. 
One big downside to the Canadian system, and I think it's something that people would worry about in, in an American system like it, is that because the government controls how much it spends on health care, uh, it limits the number of certain types of things that it will offer. And the classic example is MRI scans. So, you know, if you twist your knee in Canada and your orthopedist wants to get an MRI of that, you know, it's not urgent and you're not having a heart attack. It's not some life-threatening thing, but it's, you know, your knee hurts and you'd like to get it fixed. You know, you could wait for quite a long time to get an MRI in Canada, whereas in the United States, it's really easy. You know, I had to get an MRI recently. I hurt my back and I was scheduled within two days. So uh, I think one concern uh, that we see in the Canadian system that I think people worry about in a Medicare for all system would be wait times for certain kinds of services. And so that, you know, that's something that to think about. Um, healthcare ties in very closely to the economy here. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General was saying that the number two cost for Fortune 500 companies is healthcare. How would Medicare for all affect the economy? Oh, what a good question. And what a hard question to answer. I really think that there are no good estimates of this. And I think in part, that's frustrating to me as a reporter because I really want to know the answer. I think it's understandable because it just would be such a big change that I think it's really hard to imagine all the ways that it would sort of cascade through our economy. But here are a couple of things that I think are interesting. Right now, you know, health insurance is this huge cost for employers. As you know, you know, if you are a company and you want to set up business in the United States, you want to have a large workforce, you're going to have to pay their salary, certainly, and you're going to have to pay taxes for Medicare and Social Security. Maybe you offer them a 401k. I don't know what other kinds of fringe benefits. But health insurance is really expensive. You know, health insurance for an American family, I think, on average, employers pay like $15,000 per family. The employers and employees in part, but the premiums for those kinds of plans are like $15,000 a year. So uh, if the government took that off of businesses' hands, I think in some ways that could be really helpful for businesses. On the other hand, uh, you do have to think about the taxation, right? So, uh, you know, that money is going to have to come from somewhere. And the candidates and the politicians who have proposed Medicare for All have been a little bit vague about where the money would come from. Uh, if that money uh, came from the same corporations and it was it was the same as what they're paying now, I don't know if they would be better off or worse off. But it, so so I think it it will uh, ripple out in ways that are somewhat unpredictable. There will be benefits to employers of being freed from the obligation to provide health insurance to their workers, but they may have to pay higher taxes. And then of course there will be lots of consequences uh, in the healthcare industry, right? Where they'll be, get more patients. People who are uninsured will suddenly be able to go to the doctor. Um, but also the entire private insurance industry, we assume, will effectively go away. So all of those people are going to have to find new jobs. That's another disruption in the economy. The insurance industry is not a huge part of our economy, but uh, the plans actually do think about that. They provide funding for workers who would be disrupted by that transition. I think that's just a, an example of the kind of changes we would see. One insane thing about America right now is that the biggest fundraisers online are for medications, like for conditions like diabetes. How does the pharmaceutical industry play into Medicare for all? I would say the pharmaceutical industry is not alone among the industries that provide health care in being extremely against Medicare for all. And, and I will go further than that. They are also extremely against some of these other proposals that I talked about that would just allow people to choose a public program instead of a private program. And the reason is, is because in general, uh, the public programs pay less for their services. So if you're a doctor and someone with private insurance walks in your door, you're going to get one payment. And if a patient with Medicare walks in your door, you're going to get a little bit less. That's not always true, but that's generally true. And so I think all of these healthcare providers are worried about 
in a world where the government is providing insurance to more people, what's that going to mean for my bottom line? In the case of the pharmaceutical industry, um, you know, Medicare now actually operates its drug benefit through private plans. So the way that Medicare deals with the pharmaceutical companies is not that different than the way that, say, an employer plan does. But under Medicare for All, I think there would be more direct negotiation between the government and the drug companies. And I think the drug companies worry that that could really put pressure on them to either lower their prices or maybe not have as many of their medications covered. So uh, they are really not in favor of this. They say that it will uh, hurt patients' choices and their, and their ability to access all the medications that they want in the future. So let's talk about people who are against Medicare for All and the 2020 election. What is the common rhetoric by politicians who don't support this? I think that they are very much in a phase right now of talking about what the possible downsides would be of this kind of change. One thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, the Republican Party for the last decade basically has run on health care. I mean, their desire to repeal and replace Obamacare after it starting in the 2010 election, going right up through uh, 2016 was like a really powerful rallying message, something that elected a lot of Republicans into office. But then, of course, uh, in 2016, they won both houses of Congress. President Trump became our president. They tried to repeal and replace Obamacare. And and we're not able to do it. And so the Republicans are in a little bit of a strange place right now. We see the Democrats all somewhat to the left of the status quo. But I think Republicans are reluctant to say that they still want to repeal Obamacare, knowing how hard it was for them to keep that promise in the past. And so what we see them doing now is sort of criticizing some of these more expansive proposals. So they will say, like, well, it's socialism and that's bad. The government will have control of too much of the health care system. You will lose your choice, your ability to shop for the plan. You want to choose the doctor you want. On the doctor side, I think that's a little bit misleading. On the plan side, I think that's true. Um, and they also do raise concerns about, like, are you going to have to wait for your MRI? Would there be some kind of rationing? I don't think there's anything inherent in the proposal that would cause that to happen, but it's something that could happen. Um, and then, of course, they just focus a lot on the taxes. I, no one likes to pay higher taxes. Higher taxes uh, for Medicare for All uh, are sort of inevitable. And so those are the kinds of arguments that they're making, but they haven't yet as a party, really coalesced around a particular positive health care vision that they want to embrace. Uh, they've really been focusing on uh, what the challenges of Medicare for All might be, why people might not want to support it. Then lastly, what does every voter need to know about Medicare for All and how it plays into the decision they make when they go into that booth? I think a lot of this is about value. So we're going to have a conversation over the next, you know, 18 months or so about the details. And we should have a question, you know, have this discussion about the details about, you know, how are we going to pay for this, about how exactly is the program going to work. But I think whether or not Medicare for All is the kind of idea that you're going to like really depends on whether you think that it's important for all of us to sort of be in it together. Should we all have the same kind of health insurance? And that means that if I'm richer, I can't jump the line and go someplace better. But it also means that my my poorer neighbor is not going to have to postpone their dental care because they can't afford it. Uh, if that is a really important value to you, then I think these kinds of proposals are going to be appealing to you because they do have advantages of getting everyone in the system and also having the system be extremely fair. And again, Canada is a good example. If you want to talk to your Canadian friends, that might give you some idea. I think if what you really value is 
independence, choice, free enterprise. If you really want, uh, you know, innovation to come out of this, uh, you know, free market for healthcare. If you really want to be able to switch your insurance plan or keep the exact thing you have right now. If you're really worried that, you know, you're going to need some expensive and controversial thing, and you want to just be able to pay for it and, and not uh, have someone tell you no, then you, you know, that, that may not be the system for you. I think. Uh, this is a big change. It has certain uh, appealing attributes. It has certain disadvantages. And then, of course, you know, as we get further into that, there's lots more things that I hope to write about and to tell you about so that you can decide whether uh, you support a particular Medicare for all proposal. But I think at this stage, uh, think about the big picture. Margot, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can we follow you and all your reporting? So you can follow me on the New York Times website, nytimes.com slash upshot. That's where I write most of my articles. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Sanger Katz. What do you think about Medicare for All? Let us know what you think about the issue on social media by using hashtag Aspen Insight. On the next episode, I'll be talking to Maria Pacheco and Alexander Kissling, who are McNulty Prize laureates tackling gender inequality across Central America through economic, social, and political empowerment. Thank you to my colleagues who made this episode possible. Nisham Abdulhamid, Ben Berliner, Shereen Matthews, Aaron Myers, and Erica Van Boxtel. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow at Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Thanks for listening.